Uh, how many of you realize being a Christian should make you a better human? Um, I hope that if someone said, now what's the point of going to church? And, and as a Christian, if it was a Christian asking, well, you could, you could give him some spiritual reasons. You could say, well, God asked me to, so I'm obeying him. And God has called for the, the fellowship of the believers. But what if they're not a Christian? What, what benefits would there be? My hope is that you would be able to answer, say, the things that I have learned at church have changed the way I parent. They changed the way I treat my spouse. They changed the way I treat my coworkers. It, it affects the way that I run my finances. In essence, my hope is that as we come to church, we are being equipped, not just experiencing God's presence, which is good, but we're being equipped to go out and live that same life, as God put it, in abundant life with others. So, I'm going to start in Proverbs 13, 3, and here's what it says. It says, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. God said it, it's true. So, if by guarding our lips, we are guarding our life, failing to guard our lips brings us to ruin, that's pretty significant. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21 says, from the fruit of a man's mouth... His, uh, from the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled with the harvest from his lips. He is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words are powerful. And there are two directions we can go in when it comes to the power of our words. Mark eleven twenty three and 24 is the poster verse for what has been some, by some spoken to as the word of faith uh, teachings, which says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that which he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Our words, according to Scripture, affect the supernatural. Our words affect things that we don't even see. When we declare something, when we speak, even the mountains, when we speak in faith, would obey. Our bodies obey. There is a supernatural impact to every word we speak. But that's not what I want to talk about today. Proverbs chapter 15, 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Our words powerfully impact the supernatural. They powerfully impact that. But they also impact other people. The Bible says that gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you realize when you speak softly to someone who's angry, you see the results. That is... it. We could almost say there is a supernatural side, and then there is a seemingly natural side. But really, that, soup, that natural side of your calm response having a soothing effect on that person is also supernatural because it has to do with the spirit that's in them and the spirit that's in you and how you 
are affecting the, the, the spirit that they have. But today I want to talk about and I want to focus more on what we would call the natural side of the power of our words. Our words bring life. When is it that we most struggle with our words? Is it during friendly discussions or is it during confrontations? It's the confrontations, of course it is. So today we're going to look at some biblical advice in confrontations. How many of you remember the story of Gideon? When I say Gideon, remember the story? Gideon is the guy who amassed a uh, God came to him, well, an angel came to him, said, I want you to lead an army. He says, I, don't, I can't do that. I am just, you know, nobody. And, and he says, do it. He raised an army of over 30,000. And then God said, dismiss those who were afraid. And then he took him somewhere else and said, dismiss those who drank straight from the river and didn't scoop the water up with their hands. And so he went from 30,000 to like 300. And then he went and fought the, the enemy and he won. There's more to this story. Judges chapter 8. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon. This is after that. Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? So Gideon just had like an incredible supernatural victory. How many of you would agree? I mean, so the Ephraimites come and they are mad. It says, and they criticized him sharply. But he answered them. Now, how many of you, just before you see what he said, don't, don't look at what he said. What would you say? Um, you're upset at me for winning that bet. Did you see what happened? Did, you, did anybody tell you what happened? Because if nobody told you what happened, I'm going to tell you what happened. I had 33,000 people. And then, and then, and then, and then with only 300, we got the... Right? What are you here picking on me for? I just took out the Midian army with 300 people. No. Gideon, when they, they get in his face, they criticize him sharply. And he answers them and he says, well, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Ebiezer? The gleaning is after the harvest has taken place, people would come by and pick up the scraps. And he says, aren't the scraps from your fields better than, than one of the, 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 the full harvest from one of our fields? What have I done in comparison to you? He said, God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. He says, hey, don't you remember this victory of yours and that victory of yours? What was I to do, able to do compared to you? At this, their resentment against him subsided. Now, I think that's a pretty good lesson in dealing with angry people. But it gets better because in chapter 12, we get to fast forward 80 years and see the same scenario play out again with different people 
in the place of Gideon. This time, chapter 12, verse 1, says the men of Ephraim, recognize that? That's the same guys who came and got all upset and in Gideon's face for fighting the battle without them. It says the men of Ephraim called out their forces and they crossed over to Saphon and they said to Jephthah, why did you go fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? Does this argument sound familiar? Why did you do that? We're going to burn down your house over your head. Safe to say they're upset. Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites, and although I called you, you didn't save me out of my, their hands. Like, I did ask you to come, you just didn't come in time. So it's your fault you weren't there. And when I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my own hands and crossed over the fight to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now, why have you come up here to fight with me? Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim, and the Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. Whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, are you an Ephraimite? If he replied no, they said, all right, say Shibboleth. And if instead they said Sibboleth, because they could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. What a contrast to what took place. It, it started out the same, but one ended up with 42,000 dead. And the other, you know what? Gideon just missed a chance to toot his own horn. Gideon did it right. Most of us are familiar with the verse. Probably know it by heart. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. When we speak, we need to stop and think about what we say before we say it. How many of you have ever said something and then afterwards you were like, oops? Like all of us. He's, God says, do not speak in haste. So, I'm going to go through a few different biblical filters, reasons to avoid that. Now, some, some people, they think it through, and then they do it anyway. Some people say, you know what? If I get upset, I know, I know the person I'm dealing with, and I'm pushier than they are. I have a shorter temper than they do. I can, I can win this argument if I just get emotional. But that's not a godly way to deal with conflict. And we're going to see um, what God has to say about that later. First, I'm going to go to Proverbs 18, 19. It says this. It says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates 
of a citadel. How many have ever heard the saying, the little rhyme, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still? You ever heard that? This is the verse. He says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. Once he's upset, he will not yield. I remember uh, for a while I worked at a tree service. I managed some, uh, some stuff there and, and I got a call one day. They were working alongside of a power line and the power line company um, owns, you know, by eminent domain, they own the right all the way down there and if there are any trees that are too close to the line, then they sent this tree service out there to, to cut those down and, and so they were sending us into an area to, to expand the edge there because there had been some power outages in I think 2006 there were a bunch in this area and it was because the trees were too close so they said we're, you got to go out there you got to cut these down and so these big burly dudes with chainsaws and giant uh, it's called a Timco. It's like a crane that can reach out and grab trees up to 28 inches in diameter, cut them off, and then play with them like a pool stick. Okay, so these guys are out there cutting down trees. Now, obviously, that comes in handy when you're near the power lines because you can just grab the tree and it doesn't fall where it, wherever it wants. You just put it wherever you want. So they would cut that tree and they'd move it over and they'd lay it down. And he shows up. They've got these big old guys. This little landowner. Uh, elderly old man had come out there and just started reaming them a new one. He had threatened to call the police. He had threatened everything. These guys had totally backed down. They're like, we don't know what to do. This guy is here. He is livid. He is going to call the police. He says, we don't have a right to be here. And, you know, yada, 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 yada. I said, okay, I'll go out there. So I get out there. And I introduce myself and I say, I understand that there's, you know, been a problem. <gasps> I mean, he was so mad. He was mad because Consumers Energy, you know, he bought this piece of property 50 years ago. And then the power line had to come in and then he had no choice in the matter. How many of you like being forced to do things? Nobody. So he tells me, I mean, he just gets in, and I just listen, and he tells me the story, starting back 50 years when he bought the land, and then when the, the power company came, and when they put a weird shape right through the middle of his property, and now he has this tiny piece over here, and he has this over here, and he is explaining, and then they put a bomb on his property. What they did is they put a, a natural gas line through his property, but he referred to it as a bomb, and he was just some, and he just went on and on and on, and, and I listened, and I listened, and you know, I... I don't think I would have appreciated that either. I don't think I would have enjoyed that either. And I just listened, listened. By the end of the day, he had agreed that we could cut the trees. He wasn't mad at us. He was mad at somebody from 50 years ago. In fact, he ended up locking his keys out of his house. I ended up giving him a ride to down to where his son lives and getting him in. And, I mean, we were friends by the end of the day. But it is a soft word that turns away wrath. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I want to, everyone say that with me. Say, the wrath of man 
does not produce the righteousness of God. You understand what that means? That means the moment I respond in anger, I'm not getting the results God asked, is looking for. He says, man's wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think there's no better example than Moses. Says in Numbers 20, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly and speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Verse 9, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. You notice a difference in tone? (laughs) Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Now, we're going to stop right there. It worked. Sometimes it may look like an angry response worked. And that is what ends up reinforcing the idea in many of us, well, I I guess it worked. I should just try that again next time. But what did the verse prior say? It said that the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Our anger doesn't bring it out. God then said in verse 12, even though it worked, He wasn't justified. Just because it works, he got the results. The ends did not justify the means. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Notice something. God didn't say because you lost your temper. God went to the root of the problem. He says, you lost your temper because you didn't trust me. You got angry because you thought that was the only way to get their attention, to keep their attention, for them to take you seriously. You chose a display of anger instead of trusting that the way I told you to do it would suffice He said, you didn't trust me. The perceived need to get angry ultimately stems from a lack of trust that God's way will work. How many times have we said, oh, but if I don't don't speak to them in such and such a way, if I don't really make it clear, then they won't listen to me. I am guilty of this with my own kids. I say something to them, they don't listen. I say something, they don't listen. I raise my voice and then they listen. They're like, why why did you get so upset, Dad? I'm like, well, because you wouldn't listen any other way. No, I'm wrong. And when I choose that method 
of dealing with my kids, I'm not trusting that God has a better way for me. I am willing to act in anger when I shouldn't. A godly leader can't lose their temper or shouldn't. It's interesting, in 2 Timothy, there's two descriptions of, of what the qualifications of leaders should be. In chapter 2, or in 1 Timothy, there's one. In 2 Timothy, there's one. In 2 Timothy, chapter 2, it says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, everyone able to teach, not resentful, those who oppose him, he must, look at that, must gently instruct. Those who oppose him, it, no, leaders, he says, godly leaders, you're going to have opposition. But the godly way is to gently instruct in the hope that God, where does the, where does the calm come from that allows us to respond calmly? It is in the hope that God, when I respond, I, when I trust God enough to recognize I don't have to get worked up, I, it is in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 1 Timothy is the other list of qualifications, and it says, Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and it goes on. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.11, it says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Grace is a glory to the giver of it. When someone does me wrong and I overlook it, that is glorious. That's what God says. He says... It is glorious to not be easily offended. And where does that come back to? Again, it comes back to the trust. We're offended because they've done us wrong. We're upset because we think that that matters so much. And God says, let it go. Do you trust that I can you put your hope in me, not in winning that argument, not in convincing that person, not in getting the world to treat you exactly the way you want. Matthew 5.38, you knew this verse was coming. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not, do not resist the evil person. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Proverbs eleven twelve says, A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Here are some more biblical tips for communication. Remember the story of Ruth? Ruth was 
went, went to a foreign land. Her, her sons married women. Both of her sons died. Her daughter-in-laws were her only family. She decided, I'm, I'm going to go back to Israel. His daughter-in-laws uh, start to come with her. She says, don't bother. One of them gives up and goes back. And she says, uh, behold, your sister has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Like, go with her as well. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord do to me also and more so more also, if aught but death part thee from me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Okay, how many of us could just totally learn from that right there? When you see that it's not going to go anywhere, stop talking. Right? Ruth says, I, it's not going anywhere. I'm going, I'm going to, to stop. I'm not going to keep, as the saying goes, kicking a dead horse. I, I think back to that same verse we read already. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. If the, you ever notice that most arguments are won in the beginning anyway? Either, either they see it or they don't. But the longer you tr get, dig in and trench and, and duke it out, you don't usually get anywhere. Next, keep things simple, not complex. Jesus used parables because he wanted to make concepts simple and easy for people to understand. Another is persuade, but don't manipulate. To persuade is to effectively present truth. Manipulate is defined as to control or influence a person or situation cleverly or unfairly or unscrupulously, often including deceit. It is okay to be persuasive, but we shouldn't. Matthew 7, 15. Can we get that up? Matthew 7, 15, I've got... Something smudged on my printout here, so I can't read the beginning very well. But basically, if I can read it through here, <clears throat> it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Our next concept, Proverbs 28, 13, says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Are you ready for a really fun point? Admit when you're wrong. Admit when you're wrong says here, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses forsakes them and will obtain mercy. I just, I just received a note from someone this week telling me about 
um, a situation where they went to court. And they were profoundly concerned at how things were going to go. This particular person has been clean and sober for a number of years, but they had some issues in the past. And they had, you know, they, they had drug issues. I mean, they were in bad shape. And he spoke to me this week, and he said, I went before the judge, and I admitted my error back at the time when I was doing that. I didn't try to, to hide anything. I just said, this is where I was, and I regret that I was ever in that place. Now this is where I am, and this is what I've been doing. And he won the most favorable response he could have gotten. Why? Because the judge recognized the wisdom in someone who is willing to admit they have been wrong. We think, I'm going to get my way by never having done something wrong, proving, appearing to be perfect in every way. Not so. Not so. This is a spiritual principle as well. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like what Proverbs 6, 2 says. It says, if you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber for your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the flower. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. I'm, I'm reminded of... of uh, of a story I read in, in uh, the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. How many of you ever heard that, read that book? In one of the older versions, he tells a story I have never forgotten. He says he used to live uh, on the edge of a big park. And by park, I think it was a park on one end, but then there was a lot of woods and open fields and all of that. And so he would take his dog to walk out in that park. And the rule in the park was every dog had to be on a leash and have a muzzle. Someone says, why? Well, because that was the rule, probably because the crowded side of the park really required that. But he lived on the edge, and so he would break that rule all the time. He'd go out there with his dog. He'd barely ever see anybody. One day, he, his dog runs ahead of him over a hill. He comes up over the hill and finds his dog at the feet of a mounted officer. And that officer just laid into him. Your dog is off here running around, and you're in so much trouble, and this is what the rules say, and this is this. And, and, and he tries to explain, but I don't go over in the populated part of the park, and I live against this part, and I try to do this. And he says, that doesn't matter, and these are the rules, and if I ever catch you out here again without that muzzle on there, I'm going to write you the ticket, and I'm going to throw the book at you. Okay, thanks for letting me off. And he, take, and he says, so he put him on a leash, and he did this every time. And he never saw the police officer and usually didn't see anybody else. So one day he gets a little lax. He lets the dog off the leash. The dog runs around the corner. He comes around the corner. There is that exact same officer. 
And he's just thinking, oh, no. This guy told me he was going to lay into me. And so he walked up, and before the officer even had a chance to start, he said, I, he says, I am in the wrong. You told me not to do this, and I did it. I have been, I put him on the leash for a while, and I did that, but I just never see anybody, and, and I should have continued to do it, but I didn't. And you warned me that you'd give me a ticket, and I understand now that you will. The officer says, oh, it's not that bad. And he goes, see, the man had admitted he was wrong. And that had totally disarmed the officer. In fact, we understand that there is a spiritual side to this, that when you are humble and when you are not contrary, that, that you, ha you have a sweet spirit and people will respond to that. But in the natural, he also explains that the only way that officer could feel powerful was by showing mercy. I'm going to tell on myself. So <clears throat> I have to add the caveat, this was over 20 years ago. I had to drive from Arkansas to Grand Rapids in one day and make a stop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I did. And I was driving a bit fast. Like this is before speed limits were 75. They were probably 65 at the time, and <clears throat> I was doing over 80 on a regular. I got pulled over three times. Every time I told the officer I was wrong, I didn't get any tickets that day. <clears throat> that is not the application I'm looking for, but... I do want to illustrate the power in those biblical principles. When we admit that we are wrong, it is disarming. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. If you're taking notes, another point, listen. James 1, 19 says, My brothers, take note. Everyone should be, you know this one, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We've seen it already. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I want to close talking about why we have authority. 2 Corinthians 13.10 says, This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I might not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building up not for tearing down. I think of, of coaches sometimes. My, two of my younger boys took a uh, hockey class from some high school students who for the very first time were teaching instead of being taught. And sadly, I can tell you exactly what type of teachers they had. Because the moment that they were given any kind of authority, they thought, it's my turn now to put down, to push. And I thought, oh, what a terrible example they have had. The Bible says that when we have influence and we have authority, whether that's our position as parents, whether that's our position in, in a workplace, God says, whatever authority 
has been given by God. He says it is there to build people up, not to tear them down. I'm going to close with Proverbs 12, 18. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How many of you want a tongue that brings healing? That's what I long for. That's what I hope for for each and every one of you. I want to encourage you, don't speak in haste. Put your words through those filters before we speak and let us be a light. Let people look and see that we behave differently. Differently than we used to and differently than the world does. And they will want to see that. We should be different because we're following God's word. How many of you agree? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, you have, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what, someone may ask? Saved from the sin that separates us from God. How many of you know that you have been saved from the sin that separates you from God? If you died today, you'd spend eternity with him, and that is awesome. The Bible says we can know we have salvation. If you're here and you don't know it, maybe you hope it, but you don't know it, we can follow the instructions in that scripture tonight. We will pray. We will declare him the Lord of your life, and you will be forgiven and on your way to heaven. If you'd like to have that certainty today, with every eye just closed for a moment, to save anyone embarrassment, if you're here today and you want to leave sure that you are saved, raise your hand and we'll pray together to hear. Is there anybody? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have wonderful plans for our lives. Lord, I pray that you will inspire us to pause before responding in anger. Lord, that you will, with your Holy Spirit, will remind us in those moments to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.